0: In the secret, in the quiet hour, I wait only for you, because I want to know you. Does she? to you I want to see your face I want to know you more in the secret in the quiet.
1: The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Thus the psalmist expresses his confidence in the abiding presence of God. And so we gather here tonight in this ministry in that same confidence. My name is Hal Brady and I wanna welcome you to this ministry. I'm so pleased you've joined me and I trust that you will be blessed by both the word and the music. Now, would you please hear the reading of God's Word from Revelation 21, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, always acceptable in thy sight. Thou which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A family was being shown around Chartwell, Winston Churchill's house. As they came to the study, the guy said, this room is exactly like Sir Winston left it many, many years ago. At that point, a little boy immediately jumped up and said, he left the lights on. Now, I don't know about Winston Churchill, but I do know about the God of Jesus Christ. The God of Jesus Christ has truly left a light on in the world, and the world cannot bring about darkness. Here's how the writer of our text put it. In his vision, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The new heaven and the new earth are made possible by the fact that there is no more sea. Now this phrase, there is no more sea, is a very significant phrase. Because at the time, it was the sea that separated the Creator from the creatures. The sea represented the old order of sin and oppression and pain and crying and all of those horrible things. But with the sea removed, there is now nothing between God and the people of God. It is so important to note that John's vision, which includes the entire book of Revelation, is a message of hope to a persecuted people. The message assures the suffering believers that God is with them in their troubles and their agonies. It also assures them that God is in control of this world. It assures them that Jesus Christ is Lord and a new world is coming. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It is indeed a picture of God leaving a light on in the world. Now from John's vision, what can we learn or understand about God. First of all, we see God's sanction of hope. God's sanction of hope. Shortly after the Oklahoma bombing, I was invited to come to a memorial service for the Oklahoma City people who were killed in that bombing that was held in Dallas. I was there because there were a group of people that had worked for the Social Administration group these employees that had been killed in the bombing. Sixteen of them were eulogized in a marvelous way by their peers in the Dallas region. I had been invited to go because they wanted me to deliver a message of hope. And I went because I believe that God sanctioned such a message in his word and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's a basic reason why the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And that is basically because it's a book of hope. Now, we might be surprised at this point because when we think of the book of Revelation, we think of all the woes that are in it. We remember the plagues and the blood and the judgment and the wrath. So it's somewhat surprising that this book is really a book of hope to a people who are persecuted. This book is saying that the Lamb has won and we're seeing the final battle, the final battle and we also will belong to this victor who is Jesus Christ our Lord. There's an Easter sunrise service at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and each Easter sunrise morning, just as they get to that phrase where the scripture reads, and the angel descended and tore open the tomb, they heave a boulder over the dam, and it begins to go down, and it goes as fast as it can down to the Colorado River, and at the same time, That's happening, a 2000 voice choir burst out singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Too dramatic? Not really if we believe we live in an Easter world where Jesus Christ is the victor, and we do, and we do. So in the midst of difficult times, characterized by uncertainty and fear, the writer of Revelation asks a question, not only of those ancient people, but of all modern people of God. The question is, do you see what I see. Now what was it the writer of Revelation saw? He said, I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. To the people of this world, people who are skeptic, people who are non-believers, they seem to think this world is just one big problem going round and round and going nowhere. Life is like that. One big problem going round and round, but going nowhere. But the people of God who have seen this vision began to sense the city of God coming down out of heaven to earth. A new Jerusalem breaking in, if you please. And this new city is coming in as it incarnates itself into all of life's issues. So I want you to hear this again. The people of God will always be able to discern a kingdom being let down from heaven in the midst of difficulties and problems, the people of God will always be able to discern a city being let down from heaven. Many, many years ago, the London Times asked a number of people to write essays on the subject, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton, who was a great Christian journalist, gave the best answer, it was short. He said, dear sir, me, sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Evidently, when G.K. Chesterton identified himself with the wrong of the world, he happened to see a kingdom being let down from heaven. There was a pastor, and is a pastor, named Gardner Taylor. He was pastor of the Concord Baptist Church for 52 years. He retired in 1990. Many consider him one of the great preachers of our nation. He said when he was a boy, his father died. And he went to his mother and he said, "What are we going to do?" And she said, "The Lord will make a way. The Lord will make a way." He said his mother was a yet person. He said there is never a dark so there is never a night so dark that is not connected up with the dawn. And she said, "Yet we shall see the morning." So I tell you, when you see Gardner Taylor and his mother, you begin to see people who are seeing the city of heaven being let down from heaven. There's an Old Testament scholar by the name of Martin Buber. Martin Buber was one who studied the Old Testament deeply. He looked at this passage where Moses was asking God his name. He said, what is your name? And God said, I am that I am. Martin Buber spent many years studying that passage, and he finally decided that we had mistranslated that passage. It really should not be I am that I am, but it should be translated, I shall be there. The name of God shall be there. So we see this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. No matter how difficult the circumstances or the situation or the problems, we see this kingdom of God coming down from heaven. Now recently I've been reading a number of books on a common theme. I've been reading very reputable scholars, and they've been writing the same thing. They've all said this, if our civilization is to survive, If our civilization is to survive, then we're going to have to start talking with the people of other faiths. We're going to have to see what kind of community we can build out of people of other faiths. And so it was one of the people, R. Kirby Godsey, former president of Mercer, that said these are the things by which we could build the discussion. Remember, we're talking about building a discussion with different faiths. These are the things. Number one, we all have a story. Every faith has a story to tell. Number two, life cannot be defined solely by the boundaries of life and death. Each of the world's faith proclaims that human life has an enduring significance and that our being here serves a higher purpose. Number three, coping with pain and suffering. The problem of evil is at the forefront of all the world's major religions. Fourth, characterized by sacred places, holy moments, and sacred literature. The call of Abraham was a blessing. The baptism of Jesus was a blessing. The enlightenment of Buddha was a blessing. A crippling partisanship that scrambles our faiths is number five. All of our faiths faiths, face internal assaults from people of the faith that creates misunderstanding and conflict. And also it embarrasses our faith, witness and integrity. Six, compassion. The world's faiths are at their best when they put aside self-interest and move out and embrace compassion. And finally, a pathway of hope. All of our religious faiths offer a pathway of hope, whether you call it salvation, deliverance, redemption, or liberation. Now, these people, I believe, are now seeing that kingdom being let down from heaven into earth. So the first thing we see is God's sanction of hope. And then secondly, not only that, we see his emphasis on community. His emphasis on community. A little girl said, my father was born in Michigan, my mother was born in Ohio, and I was born in Florida. Isn't it wonderful how we all got together? Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Two or three suggest community, fellowship. Jesus promises to be with us in community. But I want us to stay with our text. Listen to how this writer talks about things. His vision is of a community, a city. Sometimes we have so many problems with our cities, it's hard for us to understand that God's eternal purposes are wrapped up in being centered in a city. Beloved, life's consummation is not a wilderness or a desert. Life's consummation is a city. This of course suggests that salvation is not very meaningful by itself or in isolation. I think it was Archbishop Desmond Tutu that helps us to understand this when he describes an African worldview. And in that worldview, there is a word called Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, Ubuntu. This is a word that means becoming a person in the presence of other persons. I am because I belong. Ubuntu means that we all belong to one family, God's family, the family of humankind. We all belong to the same family. Now I want you to listen to this. This is something very meaningful. Jesus said to them, I give you a new commandment. Love one another and everyone you meet as I have loved you. By this love all will know that you are my disciples. Simon Peter said, Do we have to write this down? Andrew said, Will this be on the next test? James said, Does spelling count? Philip said, Do we have to know it word for word? Matthew said, When do we get out of here? John said, Does this apply to all of us? And Thomas said, I doubt this will work. And Judas said, What does this have to do with real life? And we're told, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The late, great Paul Bear Bryant who was a great football coach for the University of Alabama, was asked, what is the secret of his success as a coach? He said two things. He said, first of all, I create in this team one heart. We are united, we are one. Secondly, he said, the second thing that led to my success was the fact that when we win, it's a team effort. When we lose, it's poor coaching. He's talking about team, fellowship, community, and that's so very important. In the Christian church today, annually, we observe something that we call All Saints Sunday. On All Saints Sunday, we are emphasizing the life and the contributions of those great people who have gone before us and preceded us to the Father's house. We are also t- trying to emphasize the unbroken fellowship between the church militant and the church triumphant. As a writer of Hebrews put it, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses so great a cloud of witnesses. I think the best way to describe this kind of fellowship I'm talking about is to think about the intensive care unit of a hospital. When you're in that intensive care unit in a hospital and your family member is somewhere in the intensive care unit or somewhere else, and you're sitting around with all those families, politics doesn't mean a thing. The color of a person's skin doesn't mean a thing. The presence of one's beliefs don't mean anything. What really means something is, this is a community suffering together, and in some cases rejoicing together, but it's a community of people who are together. Someone defined the church this way, a home of grace, a home for all people, and a home for new life. I want you to mark this down and remember it. One of these days, that will be the definition of this creation, this very creation. Let's keep in mind God's emphasis on community. God's emphasis on community. And then, thirdly, we see God's affirmation of the holy. John says, I saw a holy city, a holy city. But sadly, we see what the world has become or is becoming without a sense of holiness. Do you remember John Kellinger? He was one of the great pastors of our day. He simply said that the sense of holiness is the tent pole. That covers everything else when he said we lose when we lose that when somebody forgets it there's not much respect anywhere and you remember the stand-up comic Roger Dangerfield he always says I don't get no respect well I tell you when the holiness of God is lost nobody's gonna get any respect and we see that loss of respect very much in our societal life today think about the flippant ways we refer to God Think about the fact that the value of life is no longer honored. The value of life is so cheap in our time. Think about the fact that humility is on the decline. And think about the fact that our values and morals in this nation are suffering so greatly today. Well, is there any doubt that we're in a crisis of holiness in America today? If holiness does not mean perfection and it doesn't, what does it mean? Holiness means that we recognize God's claim on our lives. The word holy, when we see it in the scripture, it always means something different, something in some instances set apart. The word that the Bible uses that's most important to ascribe God is the word holy. So God's claim on us is that we be holy as He is holy. We be different as He is different. And then holiness means integrity. I like the story of the young boy that went into the card shop and he said to the clerk, I'd like a card to send to my best girl. And she bound a particular card and she brought it back and it simply read this, to the only girl I've ever loved. The fellow said, wonderful, terrific, he said, I'll take six of them. A little humorous, but not much integrity. Integrity means honesty, it means consistency, it means character. It means wholeness. Holiness means integrity. And then holiness. Holiness means that we share our lives with God as the redeemed. We share our lives with God as the redeemed. This is what it means to be holy. Being faithful to your wife or husband. Being the one who refuses to cheat. Being the employee who does the work and doesn't complain. Being the neighbor who's actually neighborly paying your bills, living with faith and hope, living in the world, but not being worldly. Someone said the Christian has three choices in related to the world today. We can reject the world, we can resemble the world, or we can redeem the world. That's God's calling to us as Christian people, to redeem the world. Now, let me conclude with this. There was a group of American athletes who went to Korea on a work mission. After they had completed the mission, they were preparing to leave. And over time, they had grown very close in friendship with these Koreans. It was a touching moment. And one little girl, on behalf of the host city, came up to them with some flowers and gave the flowers to the athletes. And she said, these flowers will fade and die. But she was having trouble with her English. She said, these flowers will fade and die, but you will smell forever. Isn't that the way it ought to be in terms of the holiness of God? All of us should smell forever, whether we're here, there, or somewhere else in the holiness of God. So do you see what I'm talking about? Hope, community, all of these things. These are the things that God is going to bring about. So any other thought, word, or action in another direction is a waste of time. There is coming a new world the kingdom is breaking in god guarantees that in his word the light is shining and the darkness can never overcome it let us pray lord we're grateful for this day we're thankful for the light the light that has come and continues to come in our lives and all around the world Help us, O God, to be channels of that light. When others look at us, they'll be able to see the eternal light and they'll understand the meaning of life. Thank you again for this time together. Bless all those within the sound of my voice. Watch after them, sustain them, guide them, and direct them. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us tonight, and I hope you will plan to be with us next week at the same time. Good night.